This episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by VO2GoGo, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best VO Training four years in a row. Visit VO2GoGo.com slash start for a free getting started in voiceover online class that will help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's VO2GoGo.com slash start. Hello and welcome to episode 136 of Inside Acting. My name is Trevor Algott. And I'm AJ Meyer. And on this podcast we interview actors and writers and directors and personal finance gurus and agents and managers and casting directors and anybody at all involved really in any way, shape or form with the entertainment industry and we stick those interviews into this kind of podcast where we talk about our experience in the entertainment industry and then stick that out on the internet for you guys. And we are two dudes with a podcast. We started this podcast because we were looking for the answers, not because we have them. So we are open to all, any and all of our listener comments and questions and emails and voicemails. You can find out all the ways to get in touch with us at our website, InsideActingPodcast.com. And we've even got a couple of listener emails on this very episode. Right. And on today's episode, we have also uh, a, the first part of a really great interview with Chris Gordon and Randall. And Randall of uh, Honey ba- Nasty Ass Honey Badger fame. So those of you who have <laughs> seen the Nasty Ass Honey Badger video on YouTube, uh, we have the man who started it all and narrated that, uh, that video and basically launched a, launched a career virally. Um, so it's a really interesting uh, chat with the two of them. So make sure you guys stick around for that. Hey, buddy. Hey, dude. What's up? Nothing much. How you doing? Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm still over here, and you're still over there. Yeah, man. We were just talking before we started recording that uh, I woke up to one of the bigger earthquakes I've felt in a while here, about uh, an hour ago. Yeah. Uh, IAP, former IAP guest, uh, Adam Emperor Souther posted something funny on Facebook. He said, one of the most interesting things about an earthquake is finding out who sleeps with their phone next to their bed. <laughs> oh, Which that's is funny because it's true. It's totally true. Everybody, yeah, like, yeah. I, you know, because, like, I, I woke up and, um, you know, uh, started setting up for recording and everything. And in the meantime, I was checking my email and Facebook and stuff. And on Facebook, it was just like, earthquake, 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 mm-hmm. earthquake. Like, every single post was about... So yeah. Anyway, I'm glad you're safe yeah. though. Yeah, me too. It was a big one, man. The whole, you know, it's it's always a little unnerving to me being from the East Coast. The earthquake thing, I still haven't gotten used to. I could do thunderstorms and like 65 mile per hour winds, like to the cows come home. But earthquakes <laughs> are still tough for me. Um, anyway, I, I I do want to just quickly say before we kind of get into the the meat of the episode, um, I wanted to kind of talk about the different ways we're experimenting with getting this podcast kind of back up to snuff audio quality wise Mm. and what we tried last week which was uh, a little bit of a departure but essentially we're we have this three hour time difference so right now it's it's uh getting close to 11 a.m where you are right Mm -hmm. and uh it's just after 7 30 here in la hence the the kind of groggy voices that we have because i know you're on a late schedule with your rehearsal thing Mm -hmm. and it's just early here (laughs) <laughs> so um, that's the first kind of thing, just to kind of quickly note. But secondly, like we we've tried a couple of different things, and what we originally did, or what our original kind of idea was, was AJ bought this Zoom. We were going to record ourselves separately, so he would record his end, I would, re- re- would record my end, and we would have a, a FaceTime or a Skype chat, and then we'd kind of 
comp- like mash those files together and we figured everything would just kind of work great. But a weird thing happens when you do that. And I don't understand it, but essentially as the, the files kind of go on, they become increasingly out of sync. So it's a weird thing that, that nobody can really explain that, and nobody <laughs> understands. But our files just, like, even though they could be, like, the same, almost like even, like, the same length, as we mash them together, we just increasingly get out of sync, even though, as we're speaking here, everything stays in sync. See, so that's, that's the thing that freaks me out, is the fact that the audio files are the exact... It doesn't make any sense. It's like, I need yeah. Neil deGrasse Tyson to explain this to me, like... Or, or Doc Brown from Back to the Future. Like, what, what, what is happening? There you go. Like, wh- where is the time going? It's the same yeah. length, and yet we're, we're, we start talking over one another. It doesn't make any sense. It's, it's really strange. And so what we tried last week was essentially we recorded, like I did a <laughs> screen capture recording of our um, conversation. And when we do that, the person who, on the other end of the recording like their audio ends up being super low, um, not only low quality, but also low volume. And so we had to add a bunch of filters and stuff to get that volume to come up. And, and it's ended up kind of being a little, um, subpar audio quality. So we just want to kind of acknowledge that we know that that was like a departure from the kind of thing that we like to pride ourselves on at the podcast. Like for me, audio quality is a really big deal. I know you feel the same way, AJ. So, um, we're we're still working out the kinks with this setup, but uh, we're back to setup number one, and um, just gonna kind of go through and try to re- keep these segments shorter, so there's not too much resyncing that needs to be done. Yeah, after it, the fact, uh, it sounded like I was living inside of a very tiny wind tunnel. It did, it did, and your computer fan was going nuts the whole yeah, time. I didn't no understand sense. it. Anyway, um, what's what's new in your world, dude? How how you doing? You are. Uh, I I read on your Facebook the other day that uh, you now know what five hundred people standing and cheering. So we had like. our first preview um, on Saturday night. We're recording this on a Monday morning, and so we've had two previews. We had our Saturday night preview and our Sunday night preview, um, both of which were completely sold out in a four hundred ninety nine seat house. Completely packed, and it was it was like a it was like a rock show. It was out of control. Like there were on the first night, there were groups of girls dressed up as Heather's. There were scrunchies yes. galore. There were there was like a a group. There was like a bachelorette party that that used the show as part of their party. There was a group of there was a group of like middle school students. And we didn't know that they were coming, and we were part of, like, their, you know, their, like, trip to New York, and they saw, you know, like, five shows, like, they saw Wicked, they saw um, Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, we didn't know they were coming, so the stage manager announced it after the show, if we wanted to go out and say hi to them, we could, so a few of us did, The, the teacher was like, we have all middle school students here, and I was like, uh, uh, oh, cool sorry about the cussing <laughs> and these little like 12 year old kids were like oh it's cool we go to the ghetto school <laughs> i thought that was so funny and i was like oh so not only do you go to the ghetto school but you're also self-aware that's fantastic um but they were so cute and they like wanted us all to sign their programs and take the, take selfies with that's like the new autograph it's like can you take a selfie with me I'm like, well, if I'm in it, it's not technically a selfie, but sure. That's so funny. So rather than have somebody else take the photo, the thing is, like, for them to hold the camera yes, out exactly. and take a photo of themselves exactly. with you in it. Exactly. So, so funny. anyway, it was it was it was like a rock show, and there's the, and it happened again last night too in our second preview. But there's this sort of um, because people know the film so well, there's this sort of Rocky Horror Picture Show thing that happens where when a famous line gets said, we have to stop down for about 15 seconds and wait for the applause to die down to continue. So, like, someone will say a famous line from the movie, and then there's, like, cheers and hoots and hollers and clapping, and then we can continue on. Like I said, it's like a rock show. It it's really is like a rock show. Wait till you guys open and you get some, some you know, some more press going and really start cranking. That's going to yeah. be... So yeah, much fun! I am, you, uh, That's so cool. I'm really excited to. Uh, I'm really excited to see what longevity it has. 
it's I, I am doing what I love to do, but it's definitely a job right now. I'm 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 at the theater as much time as I'm not at the theater right now. But yeah, I ha- I ha- we haven't really had a chance to explore a whole lot. It's funny we're definitely doing that tourist that non-touristy thing where it's like, well, we live here, so there's no re- we really don't have a reason to go to the Empire State Building or the Statue of Liberty. Like, you know, I I, I don't know, man. Like I, I used to, you know I lived in Philly for a big chunk of my life, and uh, I did one of those like Segway tours. Yeah. Of Philly, you ever see people like on those se- on the Segway tour? It was awesome, man. I mean, I lived there. I thought I knew a lot about the city, but we did this tour. It was an all day thing, and I learned a ton and had a blast. And you know, even though I was a resident, there was still a lot to explore. And yeah. you are a transplant, a recent transplant. So I bet yeah. You well, I'm like I said, I'm looking find. forward to having the the time to to do that. All right, so we got a couple a couple emails that we want to uh, jump to, but before we do that, uh, it's patron of the week time, and uh, every week we like to pick a different patron um, and kind of just acknowledge them for their contribution. And this week we've got a long, long, long time patron, one of the very first people to ever probably even hear the podcast, and it's our our good buddy Randy Raphael, and uh, Randy was in Hawaii. I actually, Randy was in my LP when I did that leadership program. He's in my LP and I didn't know this, but he told me during one of our meetings that uh, he had been in Hawaii and he was painting sets for some like Shakespeare in the park kind of thing and listening to our podcast. And it was during one of those moments where he was, you know, painting a big flat with some blue paint or something, listening to the show that he said, you know what? It's time. And he made the major life decision to completely relocate to Los Angeles and build a career in in the Super Bowl of the entertainment industry because of the show, which is both such a great thing to hear and also, as we've talked about before, a little bit scary. Um, but I'm so happy that Randy's here. It's been awesome to know him. We don't have a bio or a uh, photo of him yet. So uh, I will definitely be emailing him and, and asking for that. And Randy, if you're listening to this, uh, send that stuff on over. We want to see your beautiful mug and learn more about you. Uh, but regardless, thank you so much for your contribution, man. It means the world, and you have been with us since the very early days, and it, it's it's been great. So thank you. So we got a couple of e- uh, emails we wanted to touch on. Uh, we've got three technically kind of... <clears throat> In our outline here, I don't know if we'll get to all of them, but the first thing we wanted to touch on was uh, Michael's email. We kind of alluded to it in the last episode, and it's a good one. So um, do you want to kind of uh, launch us into this, AJ? Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a really intricate and interesting question. It's, it's sort of one that we've never really been asked before, uh, but essentially what he's asking about what's in a cre- I think the, the subject heading of the email was even what's in a credit he was asking, he keeps hearing from people, uh, agents, other actors, people in the industry, uh, et cetera, that agencies, or not agencies, but casting directors won't really consider a an actor for a guest star role um, if they don't have guest star roles under their belt. It's the classic, like, catch-22 of the entertainment yeah. industry. Chicken or the egg thing. Yeah, yeah. Um and, uh, you know, he lives in the Northwest, so he's been auditioning for Grimm, which shoots up there uh, near Portland. He, he's he been going out, he has a relationship with the casting directors in that he keeps going out for, like, these, you know, one-liner roles like Airport Cop Number 1. And so he his questions are, he's got three questions, really. Uh, if he were to land that role... The airport cop, the role. airport cop type role, the, the 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 what would be considered a co-star if you were to put it on your on your resume in that way. Yeah, but with like the line, it's like you can't go there, man. Something right? Like, you know <laughs> exactly. Small. That was that was well delivered there, Trev. Thank you. Be, Anybody be listening? Any cast yes. Directors any casting directors? I'm ready for my airport cop <laughs> role, ma'am. Step away from the airplane. <laughs> Wait, what? So uh, his questions are threefold. Uh, uh, I'd be one and done with that. Would I be one and done with that show and not have an opportunity for a bigger role on it? And you know, this is a, a specific 
to his situation. It's one of the only major productions shooting in the Pacific Northwest, um, and there's a, a small you know, pool of actors up there, so would that be the end of it once he, he booked that one small role? Two, would that Airport Caught number one or co-star credit carry enough weight compared to a guest star role on his resume and being considered by an agent or to be seen by a casting director? And three, should I hold out for a bigger role if the above statements of agencies see to your truth? So anyway, it, it, it's it's related to the other questions. So what what are your thoughts on this right up right off the bat? So it sounds like he doesn't have an agent currently because he said uh, in the last piece, you know, like compared to a guest star role, would uh, this co-star role look good when being considered for representation by an agent or to be seen <coughs> by a cast director? Without an agent, it changes the game a little bit because Alexis uh, talked about this in her interviews from just a few episodes ago. I think, do you remember that part where she actually said, was that her that she said that to us where she said like she didn't want to be seen for such and such a role because she felt like she was ready for the bigger stuff? Oh, yeah. yeah and she had a conversation her. with her agent about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it might be worth it, um, anybody listening to this uh, who's curious about what they might do here, just to go back and check out that interview with Alexis. Not only is it a great interview, but I believe we touch on this kind of thing specifically. But that's if you have an agent and if you're kind of ready to kind of level up in your career there. If you don't have a lot of co-star roles on your resume, this is the kind of thing that people want to see, not only to see that you are starting to work, but to, to see that you've been on a set to see that you get what it's like to be in front of a camera on a set with people. Because I've said this time and time again, but it really is my belief that when people are hiring you for a job, it's kind of like 40% can you do the role and 60% are you going to be a good person to have on set? Because sets can be high-stress environments. You can be on there for 16 hours. They might not even get to your scene. You know, there's a lot of kind of waiting. There's a lot of kind of tempers and things that flare up sometimes. And you don't want to be part of the problem. And you definitely don't want to be somebody that links the casting director in any way, shape, or form to adversity on set. Like, the casting director does not want to be responsible for hiring the guy who threw a tantrum. So I really think that's a big part of it. So in this case, if assuming that uh, that you don't have representation at the at the time, Michael... And you're local. I kind of, I would say, go for the airport cop number one type roles. Get them on your resume because you've got to have a couple co-star roles. I mean, the formula is, you know, quote unquote formula is you got to have a couple co-star roles on your resume to start being considered for the guest star roles. And I think, like I said, a big part of that is just showing that you've been on a set and you know what you're doing. It's more like a trust thing, I think, when it comes to this stuff. If you want to kind of paint by numbers than it is actually what kind of actor you are. And especially for this, like, you know, you want footage on your reel that's going to show that you are this very clear type, that they're going to want to see what you look and sound like on a TV show. I mean, this is the kind of thing that I think is is a great stepping stone for your career, even though it might kind of book you out of that particular show. That's a tough pill to swallow, but... But you never know. If you go enough time, you could show up again as another cop. <laughs> I don't know. But that's my that's I think my initial inclination. Yeah, there's there's a lot of I mean, you know, like you were saying, there's the the quote unquote formula, you know, and there's these tiers where there's like, you know, the co star tier and the guest star tier and the recurring tier and you know, a lot of people do sort of move up the ladder and, and try to jump from one tier to the to the to the next and sometimes people get stuck in the sort of um, stuck, quote unquote, in the sort of guest star uh, world or the co star world. So it's not an easy answer and, and, and in some ways a tough pill to swallow. Uh, the answer to your first question, Michael, is, you know, Trevor's correct. Like, that's it. If you were to book something on that on that show, there's a very good chance that you will not be going in for something else. If those casting directors, however, cast other things, then you will, if you get cast, you that means that, like, like Trevor said, they trust you. You will be on a short list of people that they will call in for other shows um, to that will bring in for other shows to try to audition you for for those shows for those roles, um, and as far as it carrying weight, 
there is a difference. There is a there is a tier. There is a co-star tier. There is a guest star tier. And if you go on to, you can go on to my website. I think my resume is up there. I have to double check. Um, I'm reconstructing my website right now, but I don't list the size of the roles on my resume. Uh, it's something my manager had me do, and it's not. I'm not lying. It's just not there. You know, with representation, like Trevor was saying, it makes it a different game because they can kind of pitch you. He's been on this show. He's been on this show. He's been on this show. So he's been on sets before, and he can handle this role. You know, see him for this for this role. But it, you know, if you're going into meet with an agency, for instance, it's just as appealing to them to say, "I have a relationship with these casting directors." no matter what size role you've booked or gone out for just to be able to say like yeah i'm 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 friends with these guys is is huge because maybe that agency has a relationship with that casting office and maybe they don't but either way that's going to be valuable to them hopefully that was helpful i know it was a lot of um yeah. if thens but um i'm really glad that you touched on how important it is to have a relationship with the office too I used to interview or interview. I used to intern over at uh, Synergy at my agent's office, and I saw a lot of actors kind of come in for interviews or walk themselves in or whatever. And the ones who booked representation or the ones who really stood out were the ones who said, "I have relationships with A, B, and C offices." You know, I may not have booked there, but I know the people. They know me, and I can bring that to this relationship. And if you have the co-star roles, it shows that somebody's invested in you, somebody trusts you, and that goes a long way. Uh, even if it's a tiny role, you've been on a set, and somebody it's like a it's like a stamp of approval. Yeah, uh, in a lot of ways. Yeah. So, in an in an industry where everybody's kind of scared shitless of where their next job's going to come from, I think building that kind of trust is essential. So, I'm really glad AJ that you talked about um, bringing the relationship to the table. So we have two more questions, but actually we're running a little tight on time, so we may have to uh, shelve these until the next episode. we got a great one from Charles, and uh, Stacy wrote in with a response to something we talked about on an earlier episode. So Charles and Stacy, thanks for your emails, guys. We're definitely going to respond. We're just going to kind of make sure we have enough room for the interview here and not make this episode three hours long because we tend to talk. So let's jump into our chat with Chris and Randall, yeah? Rock and roll. So part one of our chat with Chris Gordon and Randall of Nasty Ass Honey Badger fame. Enjoy this, guys. Some really good stuff here. So we'll, uh, we'll catch you on the other side. Hey everybody, it's Trev, and I'm super excited to be sitting here with two guests today. We've got Randall. Hello there! And we've got Chris Gordon, his personal assistant. Hi. And uh, it, what's cool about, about Randall is that he's kind of one of those YouTube stars that just kind of appeared on the scene in 2011 by, by narrating, I guess, a honey badger video that was like a National Geographic type animal video, and he just thought that the... Uh, the, the narrator that did it was super boring. And so, Randall, you just jumped in and... Yeah, and that's exactly it. Uh, well, Christy here, a friend of him, sent, uh, sent him a, a video and he showed it to me, knowing that I love animals. And uh, my, you know, my background is my father was the cameraman for Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. So I've just, you know, I grew up listening to Marlon Perkins and I've always just wanted to narrate. I used to narrate everything when I was little. I used to walk around and just, oh, this is a tree, and this sort of thing with my grandparents. Awesome. And, um... So when the opportunity came and Chrissy here said, you got to narrate this thing, I said, of course. Uh, Great. Yeah, no, I got, so my, my pal, Dan Myers, sent it to me and I didn't know, uh, I just couldn't believe it. And I, I too thought that that narration sucked. Uh, and I basically just stole the footage uh, from Nat Geo. Uh, and that's actually a, a long going thing that's going on now. Uh Randall doesn't even know about this, but I've been doing this thing where, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, 66 million views and not a penny. 
Really? Not a penny, uh, because Nat Geo has been the one to monetize it. Oh, man. I wanted to ask about that. That's really interesting. So the the issue here is uh, they're monetizing it fine. It's their footage, but it's my audio, which I've copywritten and I have it trademarked. Uh, You know, Honey Badger don't care. I went ahead and trademarked. And uh, they're basically, uh, you know, they're monetizing something that's 50-50. It's their footage, sure, but it's, you know, our uh, his narration I record him. So... It's it, that's been like a slippery slope and really weird. And I'm trying to do something legal because I mean the problem is like they've had specials now on Nat Geo about the Honey Badger, and uh, Randall no doubt has brought a lot of attention to the Honey Badger and other animals. And no one really knew what a Honey Badger was prior to this video, it seems. And now there are at least uh, four zoos in the United States that have Honey Badgers. <laughs> uh, uh, two of which Randall has had the pleasure of meeting. Oh, they were amazing. I'm telling you, they were just running all over the place, and they they didn't bite. I thought they were going to bite my face off, they, but they, they didn't. They seem like pretty nasty animals. Very I nasty. I didn't know much about them until I saw this this uh, this video, and it was just like, damn, I mean, eating snakes and taking the, the poisonous out. bites and passing yeah. the, wow. They're crazy, and they really don't give a shit. I mean, this little one came running over to me. I was petting it, and then it just ran away. Like, one, two, three. Like, thanks for the rubs. <laughs> just like a crazy wild dog. So when you went to the zoo and actually visited them, you were able to, to touch them and interact with oh, them? Oh, yes, yes. Wow. Uh, at the Tanganyika Wildlife Park in Kansas. Amazing place. Uh, they actually have a resident honey badger named Diablo. Uh, Diablo. That's, Diablo. That's telling. <laughs> He's a little devil. And they also have a whole bunch of... And so they actually... Tanganyika Wildlife Park was home to... The first U.S. born and raised honey badger in captivity, which is amazing. Uh, so I actually had the good pleasure to meet this little baby. I named it. They asked me to name it. I named it Cookie. Um, and then it, they trans. I think Cookie now resides in San Diego in the San Diego Zoo. Oh, okay, which is pretty amazing. Okay, so where are they from originally? Honey badgers. What's their native land, as it were? The Kalahari in Africa, uh, out in the Kalahari, uh, most often South Africa. Um, that's where they're found. And prior to the video, they had met with a lot of resistance because there were so many beekeepers that were getting upset with honey badgers stealing all their bees' honey and everything like this. Seriously, that they started killing honey badgers. Uh, and the only way to kill a honey badger is to shoot it point blank in the head. You can't stab it. You can't do anything like this. Like, its skin is really impenetrable. Really? Um, so these these sons of bitches were just taking upon themselves to, to shoot them, and so Colleen and Keith Begg, who originally shot that footage, is that it, Chrissy? Yeah, it was Colleen and Keith Begg. Colleen and Keith Begg, they shot the footage, and it was amazing. They spent ten years out in the Kalahari, and when we posted this video, I, I got in touch with them. And they said, Randall, you've done in three minutes what we've done for like t- it took us ten years to do, and that's to let people know about this amazing animal. Um, so consequently they stole the footage to Nat Geo and there lies uh, in the problem. But you know, I didn't care. I just wanted to get the word out about these animals. And there are so many others that are endangered and that's pretty much what I'm trying to do is just educate through humor. So you have a passion for animals. Oh yes, we both do. We both do. I just, I've always been around animals and love them ever since I was little. And mm. I have too. I have too. I have... Uh, grown up with uh, dogs in my life, and I had a rabbit, and uh, we're both cat owners, and yeah, just okay. love animals. Well, Randall, is this a is this a passion of yours, a cause that you find yourself involved in? Absolutely, uh, I find myself working with the ASPCA, the Humane Society, really? Paw Project, uh, Dogs for the Deaf, Pet Matchmaker. There's just so many causes out there that I I love, and I just want to get the word out. You know, adoption is is essential right now in this day and age there are just so many overpopulated shelters and kennels out there and they're just putting all these poor pets down and the problem here really is uh no one cares about animals as much as they should nor are kids learning as much about animals as much as they should recent studies are showing that kids in schools these days know nothing about the wildlife know nothing about animals they say 20 years from now lions may be extinct yeah, lions. Yeah, sobering, isn't it? Yeah. 
let's get back to the video because this was just something that, that, that kind of came out of nowhere and it got 66, it's gotten 66 million views since 2011, which is, when was it posted in, in 2011? Was it, it was uh, January 18th, 2011. I remember because uh, uh, I have a pal, uh, I'm from New York City originally, we both are, I'm from New York City and uh, uh, I have a bunch of pals that are still there and it was my buddy Toby's birthdays on uh, January 18th. And I figured, oh, my God, I got to get him something. And I didn't know what to do. So okay. uh, meanwhile, a friend sent, emails me that video. And I uh, originally it was just, uh, hey, Randall, come on over. And I posted it and sent it off to my pal. It was, it was happy birthday. Look at this. Uh-huh. And we, I didn't think anything of it. I, I don't think either one of us expected it to, to jump the way it did. My background is uh, improv and comedy and, and also acting and just all performance. I had, since 2006, been a YouTube member and always put skits up. Uh, and back in, in the day when the digital thing was just first happening, I worked for um, an online ad agency called The Night Agency uh, with a, a good close pal of mine, Dan LaBelle. And he and I just... Oh, we actually had a public access show for like four or five years in New York City. Uh, and then once the digital age came to be, uh, it was just very exciting because we were able to uh, get get more views. You know, uh, you know, public access in New York, you're only going to get like crazy New Yorkers up at night to watch. Right, right, yeah. uh, but this, I mean, when YouTube came out, it was like, oh, my God, like you could really just publish anything and get folks to look. Uh, but nothing had gotten as many views as the honey badger and it just sort of took a life of its own. And I think it's just because people believe in that mentality, you know, it really is like, uh, this mentality of never giving up and not giving a shit and not letting anything stop you. I think it, it transcends just the idea of like this crazy animal. I mean, what makes that video work is like, this guy's so afraid of wildlife. It's true. I'm terrified. It's scary. It's just so scary. I can't sugarcoat that shit. If it's if something scares me, I'm just gonna say it. So sixty six million because Nat Geo owns the footage. Correct. Even though Randall, you did the uh, the narration for it. My you audio. You, you don't get anything for that. Nothing. So this is truly just a, a labor of love. Yeah, for sure. It, it is a labor of love, and I mean, we've been fortunate to have other things jump off from this. You know, uh, Randall's done uh, ads for wonderful pistachios, and uh, these days with television, people can DVR and they just scan by every commercial and ad. Companies and folks out there are getting privy to the idea that oh, you know, Hulu and YouTube like they force you to watch ads. Like you're, that's how you get your ads. Uh, you know, get eyes on your ads. So we've been very fortunate in being able to utilize Randall's voice here to, to promote other things. And, and that's really how we get our money. You know, my, my responsibility basically is finding stuff that, uh, either we shoot, it's like original footage or, uh, it's stock footage or it's public domain, uh, just so we can monetize it. Because, right. yeah. you know, in the beginning of, of Randall's videos here, we were just, taking stuff from BBC America or um, Nat Geo and Animal Planet. And for them, it's great. You know, it's, I, I get it. Like, it's advertising for them. Uh, but, you know, it's been hard. I, you know, I've had meetings with Nat Geo, and it's just been the strangest thing where I think something's going to happen. Uh, you know, they've discussed uh, numerous times doing something with us, and it just hasn't, ha- hasn't, really? hasn't happened yet. So Nat Geo would actually have you have you on, Randall, as a... As a narrator. That was the idea. I mean, we pitched them several times. And I went and I had a meeting with them and I sat down and they said, well, well, well. And I said, yeah, what's what's up? And nothing nothing ever materialized. That's, it's just so – it's a crazy town. It, it is. I mean, and that seems so against their style or their brand or, or whatever. So – well, that's what that's what I think it is. Actually, I think the the issue lies. I don't think it's, you know Nat Geo is such an old institution that I don't think they can handle suddenly like this flamboyant narrator uh-huh. uh, doing you know ma- ma- making light of of wildlife. Although people are learning stuff, that's the problem. Yeah, I was going to say know? even by their own admission, yeah, you you guys were able to capture an audience that they hadn't been able to for capture. Sure. And and I saw the video. I mean, if anybody who's listening to this hasn't seen the video yet, just go to YouTube, search for uh, Nasty Ass Honey Badger, yeah. essentially, and you'll see it. And it's, it's actually entertaining and educational. I didn't know a thing about this animal until Randall, <laughs> you jumped on there and, <laughs> and and basically educated me. And it is a pretty badass animal. It is badass. And 
as Christy was saying, it really is a mentality that's being adopted by, you know, folks call one another honey badger. Uh-huh. Uh, I had a friend that was overheard a conversation in a, a, some a hair salon. Some lady called, the, oh, this lady's out all night. She'd be cheating on her husband. She's such a honey badger. And I was just like, wow, I can't believe. So it's, people are talking about it and stuff, which wow. is crazy. Consequently, the most, you know, the, the the light at the end of this rainbow really is that now they're not endangered. Like at one point, like their species was in risk and now they flourish. And because, you, th- you think you that might be in small part because of this video? I'd like to think so. I'd like to think so. I mean, it really got, you know, again, we were talking with the Colleen Keith Begg and they set up a, a fund or organization to help uh, preserve the honey badgers and it's working i mean i don't wow. they're getting donations and uh i received a few months back correspondence from them they said we you know we we, we did it like now they don't have any, because what they're starting to do now is with the honeycombs and stuff like this and the beekeepers that were once you know responsible for taking away so many honey badgers this sounds so obscene they have slippery poles with the honey with the <laughs> no, honeycombs makes, up yeah. top yeah. So the honey badger can't climb up. Because honey badgers will climb trees. They'll do anything for a snack. But now they can't get up there. And so much success came from this. Could you have predicted that this would kind of take off the way it has and that all these other kind of opportunities would come from it? I didn't expect it. And now it's what's really fun is being able to have opportunity to collaborate with people and do other projects. Like, you know, I, I, as I said, I love working with them. But now I'm starting to branch off and do other things that I that really excite me. And, um, and just to be... I feel like now I'm a player in the digital space. Mm. Uh, it's been a bit difficult for me in terms of my acting because, uh, again, like in my standup, like I feel I've spent a lot of t- I spent a lot of time doing all this work for Randall. Like I do a lot of the editing and the prep stuff, and I send him out on things and events, and he does appearances. And wow, it must uh, be nice, Randall. To have- it's amazing. He gets listen. He gets my dry cleaning. He's no, he's essential. He gets my dry cleaning. Listen, if it weren't for him recording me in the first place, I don't know where would I where would I be. You know, I was a failed playwright. I was going to ask what you did. I'll before. admit it. Yeah. Before this, I was living in New York City. I was writing plays. Uh, I had a play that was going to go up many years ago. It was called "Shut Up, Karen, Stupid." Uh, <laughs> it was a, it was a, I believe it's two act, two act play. The night of the play, everyone walked out on me. Everyone walked During out on the me. show. Well, before the show, like before even no, started. Yeah, we can't stand working with because I was. I don't know. Folks say that I'm I'm difficult to work with. Uh, and I guess I overstepped my boundaries because I was just a playwright. I wasn't directing it. But the director was, you know, he was like a sloth. He moved really slow. He would give shitty direction. And I had to step it up. So, because this was my my piece. It shut up, Karen, stupid. And it really meant something to me. But you know what? I didn't care. They all st- And I put it on the show myself. I did a one-man version of it. With like two hours notice. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I said, well, who else better to do this but myself? I'm a, I don't want folks... What, am I going to draft people and just have them stand with script in hand? So I just played all the parts myself, and it was it was shitty. It was a shitty experience. I mean, I, at least I was familiar with the work, but it was it was not cool, you know? Wow. Yeah, no. It was, I was impressed with it. I was there in New York City at the time. There was like maybe... Was it 97? Yeah, it was like 1997. Like 1997. And I was going to work with him, do lighting or something. I don't know what the, he was going But uh, I was one of the few in the audience who saw it. And it was, <laughs> it was pretty amazing. But I, so I, I loved playwriting and that was my thing. And also narration. You know, the thing, the thing of it is when I did this with Chrissy, I never wanted to be seen ever. The idea was for me to just narrate videos. But then I went ahead and wrote a book and they said, oh, Randall, now you're going to have to go on a book tour. Mm. And I said, "Oh shit! Now the cat's out of the bag. I'm going to have to show myself." And and so so what's that been like? Because again, it sounds like I mean, playwrights are notorious for being kind of like hermits almost. You yeah. Know? So being in the public eye like this with all these Crazy. opportunities, not only your voice, but now I literally got out of the car to go do my first book signing reading thing, and a TMZ guy pops out. It says, hey, hey, you're the Honey Badger guy, Honey Badger. And, I, and before you know it, I'm on TMZ. So that was my introduction to all this crap. I, wow. couldn't, I couldn't believe it. At the same time, I was thrilled. I thought it was really fun. Uh, so now I, I've warmed up to it. I like the attention. I think it's really fun. I, you know, I go to Comic-Con. I'll go to these events and things, and they take pictures. And I think it's really fun. It's fine by me. I'm not complaining. Huh. I'll just say that. I'm not complaining. Right on. Can, can I ask you guys a, a somewhat personal question? Yes. Is Randall difficult to work with? (laughs) 
Yes, I think really? I think I think you are a bit difficult to work with. How am I difficult to deal with? Uh, I did well. You're difficult to work with. To deal with, I can deal with you, but to work with, you're just you're very demanding. That's bullshit. No, it's not. You ask for a lot of shit, Randall. Like when I record you, like it's one thing, but then like when I need to do another take, like you just don't get it. That's because it's golden. The first fucking take I do with you is always golden, asshole. Listen, Randall. Uh, can you see why it's difficult I, to work with this guy? I mean, Jesus yeah, yeah, yes, but I, I should say that I, I do some voiceover work personally, and uh, and I record demos often, and, and the first take often is fine. Say? Do you say? All right, Randall. Okay. No, but do you say? Even Trevor just said it. Well, I mean, All we, right. God. Uh, Okay, I don't want to like instigate anything, yeah, but you know, uh, we, we get you know, it's we I think we get we get into the habit of like censoring ourselves a lot as, as artists and, I think and wanting so. to do, you know, twenty, twenty five takes so we can always do it better. Yeah. And, I guess and, it's just hard for me because it's like I, I guess I want to be doing what he's doing, you know, and sometimes here I am just trying to get the best out of him and you know, I just feel kinda of like he's just like edit this, edit that and mm, you know. Well mm. that's your job. I know it's my job, but I have to be you know, Anyways, I'm trying to do my own thing too, so that's what sure. makes it a little difficult, you know. And right. Sometimes I think he gets upset when I'm like, "Well, I'm not, I'm not free today. I have to go do something else," you know. Uh huh. So that's where I guess it just gets a little difficult to work with. Okay. Him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, <clears throat> um, sometimes it takes strong yeah. personalities to to For make sure. it. Yeah. So, so what's it like? I mean, with all this kind of notoriety and these opportunities. Um, I've heard that, um, Randall, you got picked up by, you're represented now by William Morris Endeavor. That is correct. And, but incidentally, ask me if it's difficult working with Christy. I'm, I'm sorry. Is it, is, is it difficult working with Chris, your assistant? Not at all. No? Oh, thank you. No, not at all. Anyways, um, okay. no, I just want to, I just want to prove that it's not difficult for me to work with him. See? And you ask him that question and look what happens. Okay. Anyways. Okay. I, so I'm with William Morris, and I, you know, I've also, I have managers. I'm, I'm, I'm repped. I'm kind of looking for new management right now, so they've okay. just been a little crazy. But that, that in itself is just like a whole new realm for me. It's just this whole idea of being represented. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, it's great. I, I, you know, I actually have a good relationship with William Morris and my agents over there, I think, you know, I think they're great. Sometimes, you know, it's just tough because you do, it, even if you're represented, you still have to put a fire under everyone's butt. That's what I'm learning, you know. Um, it's one thing to be represented, but then you still have to remind them that you exist. Mm-hmm. So I, that's why I just continuously try to uh, produce content with Chrissy. And even if, <clears throat> even if he's not around, I'm going to go do stuff. And I just have to keep moving on. So what does that look like when you say light, light a fire or another, but what kind of, what does that mean for you? It means having to either email, but mostly get on the telephone on occasion, actually meet face to face. But for the most part on the phone, just be like, what's up, what's up, what's going on? You know, if, if there's, you know, sometimes usually I have what, uh, it's like a month window where if I don't hear anything, I'm just like, what's going on? Get me work. Hmm. You know? But for the most part, what's been really interesting is we've been able to get things without the help of anyone. Just because people in this day and age, people just, they find you and they reach out. Yeah. Yeah, that is yeah. true. Like, like for the most part, a lot of the things that we have, it's been people coming to us, which is great. Awesome. Uh, but then mm-hmm. it's also crazy because it's, you know, he's got an agent and managers and things. And uh, even if they come to us and we work independently and they didn't do anything, you still have to give the percentages. And I think that's what, right. You know, that's where things get a little like, uh, you know? right, 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 right. And I, I, and I still don't understand to do with that. And I'm represented by L and L talents. They're great. And, uh, and I'm excited because, uh, you know, they acknowledge that I do other things other than the production and behind the scenes with this right. guy. That <clears> I, so you're an actor too. Then, I am. I am. Uh, I, I, uh, I really enjoy comedy and doing uh, improv and like unscripted stuff. Growing up, on my dad's side of the family were a bunch of really funny Jews, and we'd all get together for the holidays and Yom Kippur and just like make jokes. And then I go over to my mom's side, and she's a shiksa. She's like this Catholic Irish Filipino lady, and and uh, her side of the family are gossiping and and I you know and and talk. They're just characters. Like I was just. Grew up surrounded by characters. When I graduated high school, I took time off to just play with folks over at the new school. 
I worship Second City and Groundlings and UCB are great. But also, I was doing this at a time before UCB even existed. There wasn't a Second City in New York City. And um, I don't think there was a Groundlings either. So it was just kind of a free-for-all. Like, it was really a day and age, like the early 90s, mid you know, early to mid nineties in New York city was really exciting because it was a time artists and, and actors just performed. And then by any means necessary, they would find a space to do that. There came, there came a point. I mean, I've been out here in California now, like for four years, there just came a point where I felt like the bottom dropped out of New York city mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. it got obviously too expensive to live. Uh, and then the room for that sort of independent, uh, exploration and, and just, having a good time and uh, playing with, with other actors and stuff just kind of fell to the wayside for whatever reason. Like, I just don't think... I think it was just because no one could afford it or something. I don't know what it was. But it just seemed there was a time when, uh, you know, you had meetings and lofts and, you know, it was back when Williamsburg, Brooklyn was... Uh, it was just like junkies and immigrants, you know? It wasn't like all these hipsters and everything. It was a different time. And I loved it. And I... Uh, I came out here with the intent of, of getting back into that. Uh, I had had a band, uh, St. Christopher and the Sleeping Doormen, uh, in New York for 13 years. We never played out of, outside of New York City, which I, I am so proud to say. But we played like pretty much every every joint like in New York City. And that was just really fun. And for me, it was uh, I just had my hands in so many cookie jars. Like I also did a lot of collage and visual art and... Uh, it wasn't until my later years I I focused again on just performing and writing. Having a performance background and Randall, you having a playwriting background, Chris, do you get jealous that that it's been so I almost want to say easy for Randall to just blow up and, and you've been toiling away at this for years. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, there is a bit of jealousy. Maybe that's perchance why it's difficult to work with him. But um, yeah, I kind of feel that you know, it was my YouTube channel. Like, I, we posted his videos on my channel, you know? So, uh, and I gave, I feel like I gave you this opportunity. Yes. Well, yeah. Anyways, I gave him this opportunity and, and now, and he got an agent from it. You know what I mean? Like, it just blows my mind. Like, and I'm over here like, what's up? Like, I, I, can I get a finder's face? Right, like, right, I don't know. Right. How does that work? And I, yeah. Uh, you know? And, and yeah, I mean, I think, um... What makes it difficult is, yeah, I have for years just been putting it in, but also I've like had to work, work like you know, as most actors, like you know, you when you're when you're doing your thing, you know, you're maybe working jobs that you don't like, but you just need to pay the rent, and uh, I've definitely busted my ass, and I feel like I get to this point, and it's like thanks for the treat, stupid, you know, like well, <laughs> thanks for introducing us to this guy and keep keep producing his videos, you know? Right. Do, do they see you? You're just the personal assistant? Or do they, have, yeah. they, have they, have you been able to have them take a look at you or Randall have been, able, have. have you been able to walk him in or, or I like I've listen, I've offered plenty of times. You know, I have. Okay. No, I know it's true. I listen, Trevor, I, it's not like that. You know, I brought him, I bring him to meetings with me. I, I bring you to meetings. Yeah. You know, no, I know. I know you bring me to meetings. Yeah. They see me as just the, Oh, what you you know your editing is great, and oh, you know your digital stuff, and where do you see this going? This this partnership? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think I think uh, I think we're partners forever. Yeah. <laughs> at this point, yeah, I really do. Uh, I think because uh, I, I I think we could remain partners, and what's great is actually it's true. Like within the past couple of years, like he's been able to do his thing, and I've been able to do my thing. Uh, I guess I do get a little jealous just because like his things get more views and everything like this. And now in 2014, like I kind of laid it out for myself. Like I just got to start doing things and, and, and really hustle. And what makes a, 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 success, a successful actor, it seems to me, uh, successful is just that ability to, to you just keep plugging away no yeah. matter what. Yeah. And, uh, and now, thankfully, we live in this day and age where you can you can do things on your own. Like you, can, you know, the fact that like you could just show anyone you're real like that and just have a link is amazing. Yeah. Uh, I remember back in the day, just if someone was interested in something, it meant like <laughs> putting together a VHS. Yeah, you mailed them your yeah. VHS. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's what's really cool is like you know you can have a Vimeo or a YouTube and just display your talents. And then also, you know, I've heard I heard a story not too long ago about. Uh, um, how uh, uh, 
networks will look to the social platforms to, in terms of casting people. Like how many Twitter followers does someone have? That's going to help land you a role these I, days. Yeah, I've heard about that. And that's so frustrating because yeah. it's so easy to game the system. I could buy 10,000 Twitter followers for 20 bucks right, right after we're done recording here. Right. You know? So yeah. it's like that, that annoys me that that's, that's yeah. a factor. That and also I've, you know, I've, we've gone into meetings and I'm learning a lot of things. I'm learning uh, that, uh, networks don't want animal content unless they're being hunted or wrestled. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that disgusting? It really is, like, disgusting. It's so crazy. But, yeah, we were told, uh, like, even Animal Planet, their whole thing has been for the past few years now, like, surprisingly human. So they're only interested in, you know, like, a duck company or whatever that thing is, duck people. Duck oh, Duck, duck Dynasty. dynasty. Oh, the duck. Yeah. Yeah, they're interested in things that... It's or tanked, you know, where they're building aquariums for fish. They're interested in humans doing things for, you know, with animals, but not necessarily like for the betterment of animals, which is, I just think, really weird. I've discovered that. And also that uh, if you have an idea for, you have a pilot or something like that, you ha- it has to be hashtagable. Like, mm. uh, networks now love entities that can just be hashtagged. So short and not like. Yeah. Not having letters that bump up against like letters at the end of word. Like, <laughs> exactly. I'm trying to think of it like if you had and and right. then a word that started with a D, it's right. not really hashtagable because it's too confusing to the eye. So, burgatory or right. you know, other scandal, uh-huh. you know, just one word titles. Or, yeah. or if it is two words, you know, that, yeah, that they look nice smushed together. together but yeah. I'm telling you, it's a, it's a really interesting time, I think, uh, in terms of performance and acting and for actors just because. There are so many outlets, but as I was saying, like, you really have to be persistent. And that's been a problem of mine. Like, I just, I guess sometimes, like, in my career, like, I just haven't been persistent enough. Because sometimes, like, I don't know, like, you have to be, but sometimes, like, I, I, that translates to me as being an asshole. Like, you know, I've been told, like, you got to be an asshole in this business. And I don't think that's true. You, look at Jimmy Fallon. Like, there are just so many good guys out there. And, like, Seth Rogen, there, you hear about these people that are really great and they seem really friendly. And it's possible, but the difference is, like, they're just persistent, you know? Mm-hmm. They're just persistently putting stuff out. So that, I think, is what Randall's been very good at, is just constantly getting material out. And I've just, I'm, I'm just getting back into doing that now, basically. All right, guys, welcome back. Hope you dug part one of our chat with Chris and Randall, uh, two really great guys, really entertaining. And part two gets into a lot of the great kind of nitty gritty stuff when it comes to a partnership like this. Uh, that said, we are on to our picks of the week. What do you got this week, man? So mine's a, a little unorthodox, but I wanted to give my, my pick of the week is just as much for you, Trev. Uh, as for our, our listeners, because I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about um, something you tweeted about from the podcast, uh, mm-hmm. I think it was a week or two ago. I'm, my pick of the week this week is uh, Amtrak, the train service. Um, I, you know, I, living in Los Angeles, it hasn't been something that's been a part of my world really. And now that I'm in New York, Jasmine and I are actually going to be going to um, Washington D.C. in a couple of weeks, and. We're taking the train, and it was so inexpensive. It's like it's like a three or four hour train ride, so not not that far away, uh, or not that long of a trip, but it is pretty far. Um, and like to rent a car and pay for gas and like that whole thing would have been, you know, really expensive. And Amtrak was was super affordable. Um, neither of us have ever been to DC. We're gonna go do some sightseeing, and then we're gonna go see the. Um, my my LA I'm a big hockey fan. I don't know if I've talked about that on the podcast before, but I'm gonna go see my LA Kings play the Washington Capitals and then take the train back. And um, you know, it's not like an airplane, so you, you don't have to um the, the whole airport security thing is is has not been ruined uh uh yet uh in train travel. When I was setting it all up and we were getting the tickets and setting up our itinerary it reminded me of this this tweet that you tweeted. Um, so if any of our listeners missed it, I wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of talk about it quickly. Well, first off, uh, Amtrak's awesome. As somebody who grew up on the East Coast, I, I love Amtrak. I love taking trains. Uh, I don't know if you looked into the bus system too, AJ, but 
there were times where the train was like I would take Amtrak most of the time. I to get to New York from Philly, I would take like this weird SEPTA New Jersey Transit like three or four train journey that was only like fifteen bucks. But last year or the year before, I can't remember. I went from Philly up to DC by bus for like not even kidding, like twelve bucks. And it was not it was not a long trip. So wow. I know Amtrak can sometimes be a little pricier. Uh, anyway, but yeah, so Amtrak has this really cool thing that I found called the they have like they're doing like a writing residency program, and there's a, a link that we'll post to you on the website. But essentially, it's a, they're giving writers either heavily discounted rides or free rides on Amtrak. If they kind of just send a few tweets and maybe blog about it and maybe do an interview with the company for the company blog or something, uh, but if they use their ride to just work on their screenplay, work on their book, work on their whatever they're writing, Amtrak will kind of foot the bill uh, for any sort of travel that they want to do while they're doing this. I, so I just cool. think it's really cool. And I I heard a quote. Uh, a week or two ago that was about travel and it said something along the lines of if you're not traveling you're only reading the first page of the book and I re- that really stuck out to me just thinking hmm. travel is such an essential part seeing new things new peoples new cultures new languages being exposed to all this new input is such an essential part of living a full life especially as, as an artist and that, that quote you're only, you're only reading the first page of the book if you're not traveling. Really stuck out to me. So something like Amtrak, I think, is an awesome pick of the week. And if you're a writer, what a great way to kind of stock the pond or fill the well with something like an Amtrak residency. You know, traveling and just getting the, the stimulation that you're looking for. You told the story of how that got started before we started recording. Why don't you kind of briefly, like tell the the story of how the writing residency oh yeah it's cool you're saying if you want to do it tweet at them but that's kind of how it happened yeah the link that that we have on the website for this uh basically tells the story but essentially there's a couple writers who were who basically put out a tweet on twitter and they said you know i wish amtrak had a writing residency program and normally nothing ever comes of that kind of thing but amtrak actually responded and said we need to do a test run are you guys up for it? <laughs> and so they were like, sure. And so they just hopped on a train for free and, and the rest is kind of history. I mean, I don't think it's an official thing yet, but it's quickly becoming an official thing. And Amtrak seems very interested in supporting arts and artists this way. I, 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 I don't mean to sound condescending when I say this, but there's something very cl- like something very classic about it. Like, Oh, I'm going to take the train. It's like old-timey. <laughs> I'm going to take the train and write. I'm going to bring my typewriter and, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. There's something very, very old-timey you know, about I, it. But it's beautiful. I, I love it. I can, I can, I don't know. I mean, I guess coming from the East Coast, it doesn't seem weird, like old-timey to me. But I can totally see living out here for 10 years, how it, how it would seem that way to somebody who's not more familiar with train stuff. Like I, I took the train downtown the other day, actually twice last week, I took the train downtown, the expo line here in LA from Culver city to downtown, like the heart of like right down to, um, you know, grand park and all that. And it was awesome. And I really missed it. I, I miss public transportation and the bus system here leaves a lot to be desired, but the trains always run on time. Um, they're really fast. They're safe. They're clean. And, you know, I miss the trains. I miss SEPTA. I miss New Jersey transit. I miss Amtrak. Speaking of buses, I did do a quick Google search while while we were talking about uh, Amtrak, and the bus trips from New York to D.C. are a little bit longer. It's about an hour longer than taking the train, but the tickets are about 75% cheaper. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So, And they're not the – um, bus trips are totally cool too. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm excited to take the train. I've never taken the train before. Um, I've never been on an Amtrak before, but um, it would be. It also might be fun to uh, to try a bus. Cool. I'm excited. What, what's your pick of the week? So my pick of the week is a book that uh, we're reading as part of uh, our masterminds group right now. Uh, our buddy Brad suggested it. It's called "Ask and It Is Given: Learn to Manifest Your Desires." It's by Esther and Jerry Hicks, and I wasn't familiar with uh, Esther or Jerry Hicks. 
before this, um, but I know some people who were, and Jerry <clears throat> passed away a few years ago, but essentially Esther is well known in the kind of spiritual, not world or realm, but like circles, I guess, as somebody who has the unique ability to, and stay with me here, the unique ability to channel non-physical entities and communicate with them and share their wisdom. Now, I know this sounds a little woo-woo and out there, but it's pretty interesting. If you read the book, uh, she talks about how she kind of came to uh, came to have this ability, essentially. She kind of cultivated it through a lot of meditation and whatnot. And so in this book, essentially, she's channeling several non-physical beings this is nonfiction, by the way. This is like a self-help kind of self-development kind of book. She's channeling several non-physical beings who share their kind of universal wisdom with, like, through her. And it's all about vibrational energies and the law of attraction and manifesting the things that you want. And it's, it's presented in such a way that I haven't heard it presented before. And it, it's really resonating with me. There's a link on our website book is called Ask and it is given by Esther and Jerry Hicks. And uh, if you're into this kind of thing or just want to see what all the um, new age hubbub might be about, give it a give uh-huh. it a look. It's definitely what, been good for me. What's been your biggest, uh, your biggest takeaway so far? Biggest takeaway is deliberate thought. Like they stress they, <laughs> Abraham, these non-physical entities that are speaking through Esther. Uh, they stress how how crucial it is that we don't be a victim of our thoughts. Like we're so conditioned, I think in our culture to think, to see things as happening to us. And, you know, I had an emotional reaction to this, this thing happened and I responded this way. And that's just the way it is. And, and they stress over and over and over how important it is that we understand that we can control our thoughts, that we have the ability to choose, uh, more supportive thoughts, but also that, that our thoughts have to be kind of in vibrational alignment with like, it's hard to explain here right right now, but essentially we can uh, increase the vibration of our selves essentially by steadily increasing the vibration of our thoughts. So if I'm at a level one, for instance, I can't necessarily have level 10 thoughts. It's just, it's just not my, I don't have the ability right now. I'm trying to think of a good metaphor to kind of illustrate this and I'm coming up blank, but, um, if I'm a level five person, I'm a lot closer to being able to have level 10 thoughts. And the way I get to level 10 from level one is I have a level two thought. And then from mm. level two, I have a level three thought. So I, you have to kind of work your way up the same way that I don't know what it would be like to curl 300 pounds right now, because I can only curl like, you know, probably 50, but I can curl 51 tomorrow. And after that, I might be able to curl 52 and eventually I'll work my way up to heavier weights and then I'll start to get what it feels like. Does that make sense? (laughs) That was an awful analogy, but that's kind of the idea. (laughs) (laughs) Curling 300 pounds would be ridiculous, by the way. (laughs) I'd love to see somebody try that and not destroy their arms. Awesome. Anyway, it's a cool book. I'm really digging it. Uh, I think it takes a healthy dose of kind of new age acceptance to kind of get over some of the stuff that... You have to be open to this kind of thing. Uh, That said, I think that's about all we have time for. We're running a little bit long today, so lots of ways that you guys can get in touch with the podcast and support the podcast. Um, I don't know if we need to run down it every single time, but uh, head over to our website, InsideActingPodcast.com. Shoot us an email, InsideActingPodcast at gmail.com, or leave us a voicemail, 213-2-ACTORS. That's 213-222-8666. Seven seven, and in addition to being all over the Twitterverse, the Facebooks, the Internets, the Googles, uh, we are also accepting uh, private, uh, large, um, uh, 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 foreign build uh, donations <laughs> to our website. Um, so you can head on over there to our website, InsideActingPodcast.com. There's a donate button on the right hand side of the screen. Click it. And then type a one followed by seven thousand zeros, and um, and that will be, uh, it will be set. We'll be set. We'll never have to say that again. <laughs> yeah, that'll go directly to our offshore account. <laughs> we're gonna get in trouble. We're just like we're making. We're, I know. We're like making jokes about it, and people are gonna be like, "Are they really doing that?" The answer is, I know. No. Big Brother's totally listening right now, and they're like flagging our. <laughs> 
<laughs> geolocation. God. Oh, boy. Cool, man. Yeah, so uh, we'd love to have your support uh, to keep the bus uh, chugging along. Yes. Oh, and uh, I, on a, a personal note, you know, uh, I said this last episode, but uh, maybe nobody heard it because of the poor audio quality. <laughs> But uh, I do have disc uh, fa- friends and family discount to previews for Heather's, and would love any of our. I would love to extend that to any of our listeners. You are definitely my family. If you are in New York or in the New England area in general, or if you can't make it out to the two weeks of previews in, in March, I would love to see you after we open. Just um, send an email to the podcast would maybe be the best way or or tweet at me if 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 you follow me on on twitter i'm at digital actor so then uh that's it for our technical producer cesar gaminio for our production coordinator jen levin i am your co-host trevor and i'm aj meyer we'll see you next week and in the meantime honey badger don't care This episode of Inside Acting has been brought to you in part by Rehearsal 2, the app for actors. Want to learn your lines fast? Be off book for auditions? Explore your characters and make stronger choices? There's an app for that, Rehearsal 2. Download it now at rehearsaltheapp.com download. That's rehearsaltheapp.com download.